This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. I am your host Matthew Rushing and with me as he is always back from his secret Section 31 mission to Iceland is Dan Gunther. Dan, how's it going? Not too bad. Uh, Yeah, no, my uh, super secret trip to Iceland for Section 31 was uh, very fruitful, but you know, you won't understand that for another century or so okay okay whoa whoa wait a minute was there time travel involved in this i can neither confirm nor deny that there was time travel involved matthew dang it dan you're gonna get us in trouble i do not want that guy in the black leather showing up in my house again (laughs) it was just the one time i mean it's so awkward when it does happen (laughs) though Ah, my wife freaks out and geez well um okay so is there anything about your trip to Iceland that you can let us know about? Well, I can tell you that uh, Iceland was absolutely beautiful, and uh, I highly recommend. It might seem like kind of not the most common vacation destination, but uh, man, if you ever get a chance to go to Iceland, it is just incredible. It's uh, kind of on this planet the closest we would get to visiting another planet. It looks like the moon. It's crazy. The landscapes are gorgeous, and it feels otherworldly. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I was just recently watching the extras on the Interstellar Blu-ray, and they were talking about you know filming in Iceland, and that's where they uh, filmed uh, the Ice Planet and some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually, they filmed in I believe it was British Columbia for the scenes where the farm is because they wanted. plains and then mountains and that was one of the few places where you could really get what they were looking for was in canada Mm -hmm. and then of course they grew corn in canada which they had a really hard time doing so yeah that's so cool Uh, um, any specific place uh, you might mention for the listeners if they're thinking about a trip to iceland um, that you really enjoyed visiting? Well, we, we kind of stuck uh, towards the south of the island near Reykjavik in an area that's kind of called the Golden Circle. And there's one place in particular called Thingvalir, which, uh, I don't know, the social studies major in me thinks it's really, really cool because it's kind of the site of the world's oldest parliament uh, that was ever formed. And then also geologically, it's a place where the North American and European 
uh, tectonic plates are kind of pulling apart. And so that gives it a really cool geography. And it's it's really fast. Like apparently it's moving something like two or three centimeters a year. So it's pretty so crazy. Iceland is going to be two islands soon. Is that what you're saying? Possibly. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how it would play out. Or it over. just maybe makes it bigger. Oh, maybe, Iceland yeah. is the only country that's <laughs> growing. Wow, that's cool. Uh, Good to know. So it's pretty cool. In one place, you can kind of look at one cliff face and say, well, that's North America, and the other cliff face is Europe. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back here on uh, Literary Treks. I had a great time with Shar talking about Born With Teeth last week, and a, a lot of the listeners, I think, really enjoyed us getting to kind of dive into her memoir and Shar and I talked about, I'm really hoping that uh, she will follow it up because honestly, there's a lot more of her life that she uh, just doesn't talk about um, and that we would like to know about, uh, you know, Star Trek wise, would love to know more about because um, she doesn't talk at all about her time on Orange is the New Black. Uh, for a lot of fans, that's that's something they'd really want to know about these days. So yeah, that was a lot of fun to get to do, but I am glad you're back and we only have one thing in news today, Dan, that we just kind of wanted to mention. Um, yeah, what was that? Uh, well, uh, the um, upcoming book, The Wit and Wisdom of Star Trek, uh, is coming out soon. And it's by author Rob Perlman, which I have to admit, when I first saw that name, I saw Ron Perlman. And, uh, oh, okay, yep, yep. <laughs> it's not written by Hellboy uh, or the Riemann Viceroy, but Yeah, Rob I was Perlman. wondering, I mean, uh, it seems like that would be a really interesting book as the Riemann Viceroy was writing one. <laughs> yep, so this, this looks pretty cool. Uh, it's called The Ultimate Gift Book for Trekkies, featuring classic quotes and photos from fan-loved moments, tidbits of behind-the-scenes trivia, and personal recollections from the cast and crew of Star Trek, the original series. So it sounds like it could be a, a pretty cool little uh, gift book for someone who's, you know, maybe either a casual Star Trek fan or a more serious fan. Uh, it could be pretty interesting. Yeah, it does look like one of those kind of books that would be fun to be able to pull on the shelf. And, and I have, um, like, I have a big uh, C.S. Lewis quotable book. And, you know, if you're just looking for a quote on a certain subject. So I'm kind of thinking maybe this will be kind of what they're thinking of, you know, the wit and wisdom of Star Trek and uh, quotes from Star Trek on different subjects. So I think this is a great idea. I'm really excited to to take a look at it. So that'll be coming out on uh, June 23rd for everyone. So make sure you either, you know, check out Amazon and, and pick one up or check out your local bookstore as well. That is all we have in news, but I'm very excited, Dan, because we are about to jump into the feature where we're going to be talking to author Dayton Ward about his book, Armageddon Zero. Well, Dan, it's going to be a great night. Um, I love the fact that we get to do the author interviews here on the show. I mean, it's it's just so exciting to get the opportunity to get behind the scenes and I love having this this guest on because he's actually the first person that Chris and I ever had on Literary Treks all the way back two years ago. And, of course, I am talking about Mr. Dayton Ward. Dayton, welcome back to the show. How are you guys doing? Oh, great, Dayton. It's really good to uh, finally talk to you in person. <laughs> I'm here to reset the bar down to a lower level so that your next guests will have an easier time getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> They'll be so excited. I'm trying to think. I think the next uh, person that we talk to on the show uh, with the release schedule is is David R. George well, III. So already leaps um, and bounds above what you're getting tonight. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you back because we're going to be talking about your new next generation novel. Uh, Armageddon's Arrow, which really follows up everything that happened in the fall. And of course, you wrapped up that series with Peaceful Kingdoms. And, you know, recently uh, the TNG and the DS9 Voyager 24th century era has been very heavily inundated with the politics and the intrigue of the Alpha Quadrant since Destiny, really. I just wanted to, to ask you just a little bit about, you know, kind of changing course and, you know, talk about, you know, getting back to being explorers with the TNG crew and, and what inspired this, you know, next adventure for you. Well, as you may guess, it's, it was something of a long story. <laughs> um, the, uh, the idea about getting back to exploration, particularly with the Next Generation crew, but also with some of the other crews, was something that uh, our editor, Margaret Clark, had been talking about for a while. She had wanted to kind of change course and change tone and change direction because we had been doing all these political stories, political heavy stories for so long. And the, and the interweaving between the different series and the plot lines that bleed through different books. And it was really becoming uh, a, a real labor-intensive uh, job just to get a book written and to keep following that ongoing and un, you know unfolding storyline. So uh, when the time came to um, wrap up the fall, uh, one of the things that I had asked Margaret was, well, what do you want me to do with Picard and the Enterprise? Where do you want me to leave them? You know, for the next writer in line, because at that point, Next Generation, uh, in general, you know, it was numerous authors were jumping in and, and using the characters. For this or that story or, or subsets of the characters for this and that story. And so I had yeah, no idea right. who was going to follow me with Peaceable After I got done with Peaceable Kingdoms, I had no idea who was going to be the next writer to take on a next generation story. And so I said, well, you know, I asked, where do you want me to leave this? I would really like to see them go off and explore again, you know, for something, even if it's just for a few books and then we have to go back and do some kind of miniseries thing. Um, it'd be really nice to change direction for a while. And she was all about that. So she gave me some basically very loose guidelines, just set them up, and set it up in such a way that the next writer in line can pick up the baton and run, you know, with a pretty clean slate. So that's mm-hmm. how I wrote the last couple of scenes with Picard and company in Peaceable Kingdoms. I had no idea that she was going to turn right around and say, okay, you're writing the next book with Picard in the game. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if I had known that, I may have done something different in Peaceable Kingdoms. I tried to keep it as loose and open as possible for the next person. I had no idea who it was going to be. So, um, so that's how that happened. Um, and as it, as it happens, that actually ended up working in my favor because then I could pretty much just come up with whatever I wanted to do. Um, and she gave me pretty much a free range to do whatever, just come back with an old-fashioned exploration story where they find something, fix something, and and uh, hopefully leave it better than they found it and, and, and go on to the next mission. I said, okay, I'm down with that. I've been wanting to do something like that with Next Generation for a long time. Uh, in fact, I had never done that uh, with this particular set of characters in all the next-gen stuff that I'd done. So it was a nice change of pace for me. Well, it's interesting to hear you kind of describe it that way, because I, I was telling Matthew before we started recording, in a lot of ways, this feels like kind of an old school next generation novel, like one of the numbered ones that takes place during the series, but it just happens to take place after the series with the new characters and stuff. It was kind of a really nice uh 
refresher back into that old style of storytelling. Thank you. That's what I was, I was trying for. I mean, to be honest, what I wanted to do was do something really, really old. When I say old school, like old school, like original series, old school, you know, where they find something really big and brassy and weird and they have to deal with it and then move on to the next adventure for the next episode. I really wanted to do something like that, but obviously with a next gen flavor, you know, with, or infused with a next gen flavor, but I still wanted to have it kind of evoke a TOS flavor, which is why the title is deliberately in something like something you see on the cover of an original series story. Um, I just wanted to do something like that. Just like I said, as a change of pace, I had been getting a little burned out with the political stuff. That stuff is fun, but man, it's hard to write. Particularly when you're dancing in step with other writers and trying to keep all the balls in the air and respect what's come before. And, and in my case, I got to tie it up twice, you know, with the Typhon Pact and the Oh, and yeah, the fall, yeah. and so I was like, man, I would really like to write a story where I get to come up with everything <laughs> and not just have to weave it all together. It's, yeah, it'd be, I mean, not that I don't love reading all those guys' stuff. I really get a kick out of reading all the other guys' stuff. I said, but man, it just feels like uh, I, I'm, I, I spend, I get, I, and I don't know why I keep getting picked for that. I think at the time it was because I was the one who was working full time and I needed the most time to write a book to everybody else. Everybody else could do it, you know, full time. Um, so I think that was kind of part of it was like I can give Ward the longest amount of time since he's a slacker with a day job. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, it was fun. I mean, those those were fun, and it's a different kind of writing. But I was really I was really jonesing to do something, uh, you know, traditional in terms of Star Trek and an exploration story. So when she said, "Yeah, do whatever you want. Just make you know, just give me a one and done kind of sort of you know, so to speak." It was that's a pretty simplistic way of describing it. It's obviously a one and done in terms of the a plot, but. I do sew a few threads with the characters that I would like to pick up if I get another chance to write next gen or somebody else will take them, you know, whatever. And I think you really do succeed there, Dayton, in the sense that I, I did get this kind of feeling of, of the TOS-ish kind of-ness of this story. And I loved that because, you know, so much of, of the uh, TNG uh, series, you know, it had that flavor to it because, you know, they would go to a planet and then, you know, by the end of the episode, they would leave. And yes, it was in the TNG framework um, and with those characters and kind of uh, had its own milieu, but it still was following that pattern of TOS. And I loved getting to see that with the characters here because, you know, it, it led to some really interesting questions, uh, especially with everything they've been through recently. But then too, it led for you to get to create some um, some interesting, uh, you know, kind of nemesises for them for this book as well. Thank you. I, like I said, I, it was a nice change of pace for me. I, I, and another thing that I hadn't really had a chance to do with, with the Next Gen crew is all these new characters that have been brought aboard, you know, to replace yes. the people who have left. You know, we've got a new security chief and we've got, you know, uh, we've got Chen and we've got all these other secondary characters who are kind of, I mean, there's only four familiar faces from the original crew as far as the main mm-hmm. cast left. And so the, the, the slots have been filled by these newer characters. And there's a lot, there's so much to be done with those characters. Or there's so much potential with those characters. There's new, you know, new interpersonal dynamics with between them and with the people we do know. And I only got to really play with that on the surface with the other books, because I was so busy dealing with the larger plot lines of those miniseries. So it was really kind of fun to be able to take a bit and play with a couple of those characters and I've sketched out a couple ideas on where I want to take a couple of the other characters that didn't even get a real good shot at, you know, advancing their arc a little bit in this last book. Um, but now that I've got more time to breathe with, 
with not having to do all this other stuff, it's like, well, with, I mean, I can I can spend more time with B stories that feature them and bring them to the forefront. So I'm really looking forward to playing with that. I, I get a kick out of writing some of the newer characters, particularly Chen. <laughs> yeah, I think she's a favorite. Yeah, she's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I really liked uh, kind of the work you did with her character in particular in this novel. I really just like playing her off the card. I, I don't know why. It's just It's just, to mm-hmm. me, the closest yes. comparison I can come up with, and, I, and I, it may not work for everybody who's listening, but I, I almost liken it to the relationship on, uh, on NCIS between Jethro Gibbs and Abby Shuto, the forensic tech. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, kind of a quirky, odd, but very talented specialist. And Gibbs is the more traditional, conservative, button-down leader, you know. And the two of those play off each other to great effect on the show. So that's the closest comparison I could come up with as far as a shorthand. It's not a perfect comparison, but it works for me. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing with here. I mean, she's 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 you know, but uh, and, uh, she's coming along and she's she's learning under the leadership of Picard and and the other senior officers. But she's still her, and she's still got her quirks, and she still knows how to push buttons when she wants to. Uh, so that's to me, it's a lot of fun. What is some of your process for writing those new characters with the old um, and, and kind of finding their voice and how you're going to play them off and, you know, how you're going to make, as you said, never really getting an opportunity to kind of write this type of story where it's, you know, this one's really character driven for all of these characters together and kind of seeing how they work as a crew with just them. You know, they're not worried about the political ramifications of the entire yeah. Alpha Quadrant. Um, how do you how do you work with that? Well, I mean, I, I like to play with those scenes from the point of view of the newer character, so we get to see Picard through that person's eyes versus what you know. It, I love writing Picard too. Don't get me wrong; I really enjoy being in his head, but um, it's really fun to to look at him through the eyes of someone who hasn't served with him for twenty years or hasn't watched him on TV for twenty five years. You know, it's and when I'm talking inside the box, there like Chen. You know, she she and Picard have this dynamic that is has evolved even over the course of the couple books where I've written with her that I just really love playing off of that. But I, I really enjoy writing those scenes from her point of view because she's the, she's the quirky, she's the, she's the nonconformist, but yet knows her job really well. So, and Picard can respect that, which probably is why he lets her get away with some of the things she says. <laughs> Whereas if this was first season yeah. <laughs> next gen and she was mouthing off like that, I don't think she'd get away with that, but he's mellowed so much over the course of the, of the, of the, of the, of these characters. I mean, from from the original days of the series on TV. I mean, Picard's real mellow compared to that that guy back then. Being a father will do that to you, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, one thing that Matthew and I both really enjoyed about this novel was uh, the growth and the changes that Picard has gone through. Like you say, from the series, like season one, Picard. It's like night and day now with him being a family man and. I I really enjoyed the kind of the bookends to this book with him uh, reading the story to Renee, um, you know, and kind of showing that side of his character that we never got during the series. What's it like kind of writing that new, the next, next generation Picard, if that makes sense? <laughs> well, I mean, it started with me back during the Typhon Pack books where Margaret asked me to write the Picard and Enterprise book for that series. And she said, Picard's a new daddy. I want you to write that first story where he's a dad. Because we skipped over the whole getting childbirth. Remember? I mean, I mean Beverly yes, Crusher was yes. pregnant mm-hmm. in one book. And then when we visited them again, it's been about a year, I think. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. It's been about a year or yep. so since she's had the kid. Yeah. 
And so we, we skip over the stuff like midnight feedings and, 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 and dirty diapers and <laughs> all the fun like stuff. <laughs> so, um, and the reason she asked me to do that is because at the time of that book, I was still a relatively new dad myself. And so I, I could channel all those, all those experiences into uh, Picard in terms of dealing with fatherhood and having to balance uh, job and, and, and fatherhood and, you know, parenting and all that stuff. And, uh, but I, in, in his case, it's probably even more weird because, I mean, his office and his house are basically the same room <laughs> when you think about it. I mean, you yeah. know, he walks, <laughs> and so he really can't get away from the, can't really get away from the job, can't really get away from the family. I mean, he, you know, he's a phone call away. So it's, uh, it's been interesting because, I mean, you think back on it, I mean, you know, remember when he lectured Riker in the first episode, you know, I don't like children. <laughs> and now here we are. So it's been, uh, it's been an interesting uh, evolution of the character and, and a lot of fun for me because, uh, you know, like I said, he's kind of mellowed. Now that he's a father, I mean, he's still he's still Picard. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't view the world the same way. He doesn't get as wrapped around the axle about the same things. Not the things that were an emergency or a crisis or had to be dealt with right that second. There's a different perspective now. You know, it's like things are not that important. It won't. It won't. The world won't explode if I don't get to that thing right now. It can wait until after I read my kids' bedtime story. You know, that kind of thing. It's an interesting uh, evolution for that character. It's a lot of fun. I like in the book when he gets kind of self-reflective about that sort of thing. Like, I, I love the internal monologue where he's kind of realizing that for himself. Like, hmm, I wouldn't have thought that way years ago. <laughs> I know, exactly. It's almost like a surprise. And I mean, to be honest, it was a, kind of a surprise for me, too, as, as a dad. You know, I realized, you know, the, the kinds of things that used to get me worked up, I just don't care about anymore. It's like, there's just, I realize it's not really that important. I shouldn't have been expending that kind of energy and getting that angry about that thing. It just doesn't matter. This matters. This is more important. So that's kind of what I'm – but he's got a different job, obviously, than bonehead writer me. I mean, he's still got to command a starship. And we've had that conversation a few times where we danced around the idea. Is he going to retire? Is he going to take a ground assignment? Is he going to become an ambassador? And that was one of the other things that I had asked about in the fall. I said, can we please, for the love of all that's holy, answer that question once and for all, at least for a while? You know, Because we had danced around it now for, what, two or three years? in a couple of different books and a couple of different miniseries, because I had laid all that out in the Typhon Pact, and I figured, well, by the time I get the chance to write for these characters again, someone will have figured that out. And then they cycle back around for the fall, and we're still asking those same questions. <laughs> and I said, okay, enough of this. Can we please put a nail in this? Because people were asking. I mean, they, were, they were wondering if we were going to advance the characters to line up with uh, Star Trek Online, or uh, the countdown miniseries that pre, you know that that came out in conjunction with the 2009 Star Trek film, were the, were the characters going to go in that direction, yes or no, or were they going to go in a completely different direction, or were we going to maintain a status quo? I'm like, well, you know, to me, Next Generation without Picard just doesn't seem like it's worth the effort. It's, it's not it's not Next Generation anymore. He's the face of that incarnation of Star Trek. Um, so if he retires or takes a ground assignment and there's somebody else captaining the enterprise, I'm not saying I wouldn't read it. I'm just saying to me, that's not next generation. Uh, and you know, to be perfectly blunt, Patrick Stewart's face on books, sell books. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> I, mean, I hate to say that. I mean, I hate to be monet, you know, monet, or what do you call it, materialistic about this, but that's a proven fact. Patrick Stewart's face on a cover sells books. Well, if it means we get more Star Trek novels, I'm not going to fault that opinion at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, in fact, it's a, a, and this goes back 20 years because when 
William Shatner and the Reese Stevens wrote the first Shatner verse book, you know, the, the ashes of Eden. Um, Mm-hmm. And they put the card on the second book in that series, and you'll notice that he was on every book after that. <laughs> There's a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, w- yeah. it wasn't just coincidence. Picard- Patrick Stewart sells books, so, and I'm quite happy to have him on mine. So, oh, I, I mean, Patrick Stewart's a beautiful man <laughs> even now. I mean, let's not lie about it. He's a g- amazing looking guy and just an incredible human being. So. Yeah, it's it makes sense for people to want to pick up a book with his face well, on. Well, I mean, you know, the, the questions were understandable. It's like, you know, well, how old is Pat, how old is Captain Picard? And you know, in in the in the story, in the continuity, he's what in his seventies, you know, which mm-hmm. today yeah. sounds like he's old, but in the twenty fourth century, he's you know late middle age, really. I mean, he's I mean, humans live to be one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty years old in the twenty fourth century if they do everything right. So. You know, he's still got a lot of years left in him from way, the way I see it. So, you know, why should he if, he, if he wants to be an explorer and that's what he is at heart, then why should we not do that? Well, and one of the cool things I think that it adds to the books is, is you were talking that he's mellowed a lot and it's really changed the culture on the Enterprise. You know, this book, I think, um, was the first time I've really seen this crew together and they feel like that next generation crew, right. but Picard's now part of the game where he's he's the one snickering at the jokes and, you know, making the remarks or, you know, I think you really captured the feel of this new crew and it made it feel like, well, this is the new normal on, on the Enterprise and this is the different Picard and it really has led to a completely different feel of the way that you know he interacts you know from the top down the enterprise is is different yeah. from you know especially what it was on the deal. Well, I mean he sets the tone obviously um but and 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 this dynamic these new these new faces and uh, and personalities you know they they are going to come up when they when we mix it all together they're going to obviously be something different than what we had on TV and in the films and not better not worse but but obviously different, and that's a good thing um, to me. I mean, the story, the story potential, you know, the, the, the possibilities with these different characters to me is is exciting. Um, I get to do things. I mean, I can do a story with Chen that I could never do with, you know, LaForge. You know, I can I can take her in directions that I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to do with one of the canon characters. That's one of the beauties of having these original characters within the familiar setting is we can do things with these characters and take them in directions that the the folks at CBS and Pocket might say, you know, so and so wouldn't do that, but this new person, yeah, okay, I can see that. You know, right. And it's, I mean, so we get the kind of the best of both worlds. You know, we get. Uh, sorry, sorry, poor, bad pun. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, I didn't mean to do that. I, it was an unauthorized pun, um, or play on, unauthorized play on words. Um, but to me, it's fun because I, you get a sense of how Picard would react to a given situation. You know, Picard's. Not a lot's going to surprise him anymore at this point in his life, I and mean, he's he's seen and done so many crazy things. It's it's hard to really get a reaction out of him like, well, that's different. Whereas with the younger folks, I get to play with that because it's for them, it's their first time doing these sorts of missions and 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 exploring these sorts of things, and so it's it's kind of like almost like having a brand new crew, but but you've got the anchor of the familiar characters to help kind of uh, keep you on the tracks. Wow, talk about mixing your metaphors. Sailing and train all in one <laughs> sentence. I'm a professional on a closed course, folks. You know, attempt that. 
Yeah, do not try this at home. Dayton is a paid professional. Well, I wanted to ask a quick question just about, you know, when you're creating this this new adventure, um, creating the races that they'd run into, the technology they run into, I, I kind of likened um, the Armageddon's arrow to a, a Death Star DeLorean. <laughs> um, and I was just kind of wondering, you know, when you're creating, that's one of the things about Star Trek is a lot of times you have to create out of what you know and cobble things together from around the world to, to create kind of a new race. What were some of your inspirations for all Well, I mean, that? for the for the weapon, for the ship, um, it was not my intention uh, in my outline. My original outline did not have uh, it being, um, are, are we, are we going to, we, we risk walking into spoiler yeah, territory will, now. We I will know. spoiler okay. territory now. Spoiler alert, Dayton people. Is, is, it was not yeah, my intention originally go. to base it off the Doomsday Machine. Uh, that was the suggestion by Margaret. She said, why don't you make it that they found an old doomsday machine crashed on one of their moons or something, and they, re, they, they re-engineer it. They reverse-engineer a doomsday machine. I said, okay. I, I never – I didn't think about that, but okay, I'm game if they'll let me is basically what I said during that phone conversation. Uh, and CBS loved the idea or at least didn't shoot down the idea. So that was Margaret's idea to do that. Um, I had just intended that they were going to build the thing – on their own, you know, the way that, uh, they would, you know, the empire would have built a death star right. or the Krenum would have built a time weapon or something. Uh, in fact, that's mm-hmm. the closest parallel is the Krenum. You know how frustrating it is to have yes. that comparison and not be able to make it because nobody in this reality knows what that weapon is. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. We, they, Voyager we hit the reset it, but we button. We can't talk about it because they don't know. They never saw it. And so it's like, and I'm like <laughs> that's frustrating. So, Yeah. So I had to kind of elude that maybe something like that could possibly happen. You know, you never know that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I remember early on thinking, okay, yeah, I can compare it to the Krenum weapon. No, I can't. <laughs> they they overwrote that time stream and they don't know anything about the weapon. So ah, uh, the reset button strikes again. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it burnt me there. No, it was funny. So um, so it was. I mean, so the Zindi weapon was the closest thing I could come up with to a comparison. Um, because I was trying to evoke something else without, I mean, it's to be honest, she was like, well, don't reveal that it's a doomsday machine until about halfway through the book. And I'm like, I, I can probably count on the fingers of one hand the people who won't pick up on that when they look at the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> My mother and three other people, you know, will not figure that out. Everybody else is going to at least suspect, if not outright know. And so... And the yeah, first time I drop a neutronium reference, the yeah, really nerdy exactly. segment is going to know something. <laughs> yep, up. yep. So I said, okay, That's but you know what? Anti-proton weapon. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I finally decided, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay it out like that, and the people who know are going to know, and the people who don't know will be surprised. And, and it, I mean, who cares? So um, I decided just to embrace the whimsy, so to speak. Uh, it was, but it was a lot of fun. And as far as the races. That 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 uh, I really wish, if if nothing else, I wish I, I wish I had more time to delve into their past. You know, like set more scenes on their home planet mm-hmm, or something. Yeah. Like I like to do. You know, I, as you may have noticed, I like to open a lot of my stories from the point of view of what becomes our alien of the mm-hmm. of the of the of the story. You know, the alien of the week or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I like to set the tone with through their eyes. Um, and I didn't get a chance to really do more on their planet. I just ended up had scenes plotted, at least in my outline originally, some notes. But as the story started fleshing out, I realized it's just not needed. I can communicate what's what's mm-hmm. needed as we unfold the story with the rest of the of what's going on. So 
you know, if I had it to do over again, maybe I might insert like a director's cut. <laughs> maybe I'll go back and do a deleted scene <laughs> yeah. or something. But, um, <laughs> Pull a George Lucas. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the other alien shot first. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. But so yeah, that's that's you know one regret is you know I, if nothing else I would have liked to have seen more of the war that prompted this whole thing. Uh, but you know the book is already pushing the upper boundary of what they want for a page count. So one of the things that was really cool about this book is is how you did link it to all that had come before. You know, this is a standalone book, but you're you're doing a great job of referencing things for those of us who've been with this series, um, the book series for a long time now. And, you know, Picard has been wondering for quite a while, does anybody remember when we <laughs> used to be explorers? And I loved that in this book, he kind of learned, be careful what exactly, you wish for. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I even have some some variant of that line in there somewhere like well you asked for it or something to that effect yes. i don't remember the exact wording but i think there's a thought to that effect in there somewhere i like well okay as far as we're, you know linking things to what's happened before you know i try to operate on the principle that every book that you could pick up is somebody's first uh mm-hmm. any book that somebody picks up at the airport or the grocery store or wherever you know that could be the first star trek book they read and you have to you have to welcome that reader into the fold. You can't just write these for the people who read every book every month the first day it comes out. Right. You know, it's. I mean, and those people are wonderful too. Don't get me wrong, but you have to kind of walk a line between the two groups. And so, it, you know, push comes to shove, I'm going to err on the side of the newer reader because I want more people to come in and go, "Wow, I can really get into this." So that's how I look at it. Now, you know, do I do I succeed in striking that balance every time? Probably not, but. Um, that's what I, that's how I approach it. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's every, every book is a, is a potential ambassador to the whole line. Uh, so it should welcome that new reader. Well, I feel like this one in particular does a really good job of that. Like as, as much as I want to encourage everyone to, you know, read destiny and then the Typhon pact and then the fall, I feel like if someone kind of doesn't want to do that, this feels like it could be a, a you know, a really good jumping off point for, where possibly the book series is going from here. I'd like to think it's a nice jumping on point. Um, we try to put those in every so often, you know, like <laughs> destiny, you could, you could say is a good just death jumping on point for whatever, you know, for, for all the stuff that it wrought, all the terror and, and, and mayhem that it unleashed. Uh, and then we take another breather here every so often. And then I think this one makes for a good post destiny, post Typhon pack, post, you know, post everything. This is a nice season season premiere for lack of a better term you know mm. that might be the cl- a nice comparison um but yeah i want everybody to go and read you know like which book should i start with dayton number one encounter at farpoint then read them all forward you know go buy them all <laughs> make sure all the writers get their get their cut you know that kind of thing i want to i want them all to succeed i want them all to be bestsellers i want them all to work um but yeah i i tried to write this as kind of a jumping on point because that was one something i wanted to do and two margaret was was uh, very supportive of that notion it's like yeah it's time to kind of let some more people on the on the you know let other people get them come on now so because uh, we you know you have to admit that the the, the storylines for the the fall and the stuff leading up to it you know it's it was pretty tight uh not a lot of not a lot of wiggle room or, or not a lot of places to put an on-ramp to let other people get on so um this is a nice uh i guess a breather <laughs> you know how you have to ride a roller coaster and you you, you kind of hit that dip and you coast for a little bit before you start climbing again. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the future of the line 
what what they're what she's plotting or you know what's next or what if we're going to do another big mini series at some point in this year or next year I, I really don't know uh i wrote this one with the idea that i would not be the next writer to pick up the the storyline uh like i did the last time you see how that worked out for me so uh we'll see, and we'll see. <laughs> so if you keep doing that margaret's gonna keep picking well i mean she, she already told me that i'm gonna write another one after the, the next book that i'm gonna write after i write the one i'm gonna write this summer will be a next gen book so I have no idea oh, what the plot's going to be about. I have no idea what the plot's supposed to be for that one yet. <laughs> All I know is it's Picard. So that's awesome. And hopefully Patrick Stewart on the cover. <laughs> well, or that or a really cool ship shot. I mean, I I can't complain that's about true. the cover for this one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When uh, when Doug Drexler sent me the rough for it, uh, I didn't even have a background. It was just the the ship and the, the the Enterprise and the shuttle and the little bitty alien ships. All that's all it was. The background had not been supplied yet. Um, which was done by, uh, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, but it's Ali, it's either Reese or Rise. I don't, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, but she provides those really awesome background uh, images, you know, that really j- make the ships jump off the cover. And she, she, the two of them working together really knock it out of the park for me this time around. It's a gorgeous cover. Yeah, I'm really liking that kind of dynamic feeling that a lot of these covers are getting. And, and this one in particular, it's just, like yeah, it just jumps off the page at you. It's a uh, it's something else. I mean, like I said, when he sent me the the initial um, rough version of it, it's kind of hard to say a sketch because it's still done in a computer. But um, it's basically he did a lot of the work on the on the main weapon ship, and the and the Enterprise was a model that he you know he he has that CGI model the Enterprise in his computer. And he can just make it dance to any angle he wants. Uh, so he was showing me some different angles and stuff, and you know I'm like that's the one I want right there. Uh, you know, I don't even smoke, and I wanted a cigarette after looking at some of this stuff. <laughs> so it was a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, it's it's always a treat when uh, Doug gets a chance to do a cover for one of our books. Well, one of the things that was interesting in this book, because it is following everything that's been happening with the Typhon Pack, with the, the fall, um, you know, still dealing with the ramifications from from destiny uh, because David Mack is just a sadist when it comes to (laughs) how much mayhem he loves to wreck, which is so awesome. Uh, You know, the Federation recovering from all that and, and trying to, to learn how to balance their resources, you know, and, you know, to let a ship like the enterprise start exploring again is a big deal. It's a big question um, because, you know, there's still, um, not at the strength they were before with Starfleet and this kind of short-term versus long-term thinking. And I just thought, you know, this this really has some real-world implications these days as we try to understand how best to use our resources, you know, militarily, government-wise, NASA, yeah. research, science, all of those things together. How do we use that? And I just really liked that, you know, it, that's what Star Trek does best is touch on those kind of issues. Well, I mean, I, I thank you. I um, I tried to build out from that scene that I had at the end of Peaceable Kingdoms where Picard goes to uh, Riker and Admiral Akar and basically says, look, I get it. This is a reality we have to deal with, but we can't be defined by our military ability to, you know, our, our ability to respond with our military. That should That's not our defining that, that's not what defines us as a people. That's not what defines us as, as the Federation. That's not what we're about. That's not what we were funded on. It's important, and we can't shirk it, and we have to be vigilant. But there are—it's a big universe out there. You know, there are friends waiting 
just like there are enemies out there. We, you know, we, there are people out there waiting. There's things out there for us to find uh, and, 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 and appreciate. So that's Picard, the explorer, you know, and he, and he'll do his duty. I mean, like if the, if the balloon goes up and there's another threat that has to be faced down, that's Picard. He'll do that job, but that's not his calling. That's not what he, that's not why he joined Starfleet. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to bring back. It's like, you know, he's, he, he, he's a, he's a, he's a top notch military commander, but that's not all he is. And the best of the next generation episodes found a way to balance those two parts of him. And that's what I tried to do with this book. That's for the reader to decide if I got it right or not. But that's what I wanted was just an old school, traditional Picard story, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, for as much as Picard has changed, I, I also felt this was kind of a bit of a a return to that more diplomatic, more introspective Picard of the series, as opposed to the you know action hero of first contact and insurrection. So yeah, and there's a place for that. I mean, it's entertaining, but that's you know again that's that kind of rubs against Picard's nature. As a, I mean, that's not the Picard we know from the show. Um, so there, I mean, and there's like I said, there's a balance to be struck there, and it's fun when it's done right. I I, I mean, I still enjoy watching Star Trek First Contact um, with action, you know, oiled up action Picard. Um, I hope I have that kind of strength and energy when i'm his age uh, i'm really i'm really <laughs> yeah, banking on definitely that. you're here <laughs> me too <laughs> but you know that's not him that's that's not you know picard was deliberately written to be a different kind of character than kirk and that's why Riker was the guy who was the kirk-like guy in next generation so that picard could be this more thoughtful deliberate uh experienced commander and through you know, the events of the miniseries that we've done. And, and, you know, that's what I love about Dave. You know, Dave is, we bring Dave in when we want to wreck the board and start over with a new game. Um, and, and then we, we put him back in his glass case, you know, break, break glass in the vent of mayhem, you know, and we bring out Dave and then the rest of us spend a bunch his of, we, glass get, we, get, case we all of get emotion. job security getting to clean up after what he, you know, what he, what he does. But, uh, uh, and that's, what's fun though. I mean, you know, every book can't be destiny and every book can't be, uh, cold equations you have to have the other types of books too to balance it all out and so you know in, in a couple of years we'll be ready for dave to come in and, and swipe the board and start all over we'll, we'll come up with something else i'm sure well what's so cool is that you know i always come back to generations and the scene between picard and kirk about never let them get you out of that chair right. and and for me that was always the defining moment for picard where he learn something from Kirk on who he really wanted to be. And that allowed him to be a little bit more action oriented. And so when we got that Picard and and the rest of the films, to me, it always kind of made sense because he had spent time with the original action hero. Well, yeah. I mean, that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I've used that very explanation to justify how I write Picard now. Um, why he won't, why he doesn't want to be promoted, and why he doesn't want to retire, and why he doesn't want to become an ambassador or a diplomat, uh, you know, that, because of that conversation with Kirk and 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 Will, Bill Weisner set that tone in the book he wrote after Destiny called Losing the Peace, you know, where he has Picard yes, basically yes. give that same argument to Akar and um, to justify, you know, I'm better, I better, I'm a better, I'm a better use to you. On the, on the enterprise than I am in an office or on a diplomatic team or in an, in an embassy somewhere. Um, you know, play, use me, use my, use me to my strengths and let me do these things. And I, to me, it, it, when I write Picard, that discussion with Kirk is always there in the back of his head. That's why he's 
still in command of the Enterprise. That's why he's not interested in being an admiral. This is what he was born to do. So, and, and he's going to do it until they, until the, until the ship rots out from under him, basically, <laughs> or, 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 yeah. you know, or somebody <laughs> else, you know, takes over for the, or they reboot the, reboot the series or something. But, well, and I think that makes so much sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, the idea that for the captains of the Enterprise, this is their first best destiny, and that there's something special about that ship, that that name of that ship that attracts that kind of person. And you, you know, you're always walking in step with who came before you, you know, from uh, Robert April all the way now to Picard. And um, all of those people, uh, men and women, have had something just a little bit different that, that set them apart, that gave them the ship enterprise. Well, it's almost like they're setting uh, them up from the get-go. I mean, you know, they, they give the guy yes, the command of the yeah. ship, and it's got the number painted on the hull that goes all the way back 150 years. It's like, God, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, right out of the gate, you're saddling me with the history of five guys who came before me. You know, and but that's that's you know that's one of the fun parts about Star Trek is is this history that that this this uh, this this vast tapestry that we carry along that that that, that, that keeps following behind the newest you know even though the new stories keep pushing forward you can still reach back and touch into that history and I, that's one of my favorite things about it so I like I said I I got a kick out of it I, I really enjoyed being able to kind of change gears uh, at least for one book I you know <laughs> I don't know what she wants me to do with the next one we'll talk about that next month. Uh, well, speaking of kind of the legacy and the history of the Enterprise, uh, one part that I laughed out loud when I read was uh, the discussion about the Department of Temporal Investigations possibly having a Section 1701 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for special cases involving the Enterprise. And, you know, that ship's kind of history with time travel. I thought that was that was pretty great. I mean, yeah, thank you. I, that was, I couldn't resist throwing that jab in. Um, that kind of plays off two things. Number one, you know, the, the line from the DS9 triples episode where they tell, they sell, they tell us that Kirk has 17 separate temporal violations, uh, the biggest file on record, you know, and then, um, man was a menace. And then Christopher Bennett came along and did a masterful job tying together all the different time travel plot elements and plot lines and, 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 and whatnot into something cohesive that made sense even to a dummy like me. Uh, you know, he was able to make sense of all that and, and, and I could just see, I could see them sitting around a conference table, you know, in the, in this room where they keep track of all the different temporal violations and up pops an enterprise reference. And they're like, they just all hang their heads like again, you know, I could just see that happening. And so the joke about, you know, section 1701, which is just devoted to nothing but enterprise temporal violations. I could, I could totally see that happening. Just, it's just my You could joke. just see them shaking their I could fist. just see them like, Come enterprise! On! Enterprise! <laughs> so... It's, I don't know. It's just a I, you know, it's one of those little fun things. Well, I really loved the use of the the time travel in this story because you know we get a lot of you know time travel stories involving Earth and Earth's past and that kind of thing, and it was kind of a nice change to see like a localized example of a species using this technology in a u- unique way. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate time travel stories done well, and I and I do have to ask. And it was, you know, you're reading the book hoping to get an answer the entire book, and then you don't, which is kind of brilliant because now you're in the place of the rest of the Enterprise crew because they never got the answer. You know, what did Torek see in that file? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He he saw Elvis. 
Uh, I don't. Again? <laughs> no, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually have, um, I have four, that's five now. I have five different possibilities of what I can do with that plot line um, to, if I get a chance to revisit it. Um, I don't know which one I'm going to go with. Uh, I had I had three while I was writing the book, and then I had another one while I was copy editing the book, and then I had another one the other day. And uh, and then, of course, there's the elephant in the room that pe- people have asked me about. Is this setting up for the for the uh the supernova in in the 2009 mm-hmm. film yeah and you know i guess it could be that way but to be honest i didn't write it with that in mind because under our current uh licensing agreement you know everything that's jj abrams star trek is a separate entity from the, the classic timeline so mm-hmm. the idea of right. these two crossing over if it does happen it's not going to be somebody like me who does it um it'll it'll happen on film or, or, or somebody else will get that nod. I, I mean, I, I, I cannot see them <laughs> giving me that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an interesting play. I mean, it's, I mean, I guess you could, you could, you could go that way. Um, I mean, it's obvious, it's an obvious, uh, red herring, you know, um, mm-hmm. I would, you know, I guess if they, if they change their mind and go, Hey, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and tie it all up into one big bow, go for it. You know, then I'm ready. I've already got the plot line laid out, but, um, I knew going in that that was <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, or at least under the current regime and the or the current thinking, I don't believe that's going to happen. Don't quote mm-hmm. me, but um, yeah, quote me. Yeah, go ahead, quote me. We're going to be all over the internet this time next week. But um, that's right. No, I mean, I, <laughs> like I said, it's it's a separate licensing agreement. Uh, the 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 new JJ films, the Bad Robot films, so they are they exist as a separate entity from from the classic timeline. So we're not allowed to mix and match. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that won't change, uh, but Pockets license, at least as I understand it. Um, it doesn't allow for that. It'd be fun. I really would like to write a, a new Trek, Kirk and the Gang, uh, story. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I th- I think that you know, uh, a while back, I guess years back down when the '09 first came out, you know, they had the idea. They had I think books lined up they were going to do, and then they pulled the plug on them. And, and I I was actually disappointed to to not see them come out because I was really interested. Uh, to get to explore those characters more um, in in the novel series, and and then you know now the only place to do that is is with yeah. the comics, which is great. I'm not complaining at all. I just would have loved to have allowed them to have uh, you know some some they books. Had four, I think it was four. They had four novels yeah. that were lined up to. Yeah, it was four because it was Alan Dean Foster, uh, David Mack, mm-hmm. Greg Cox, and Christopher Bennett had all written or were writing or were slated to write. I don't I don't know how far each book got. Um, I want to say Christopher Bennett finished his um, in terms of he had turned in a completed manuscript. And I think Dave did mm-hmm. as well, but I honestly do not know for sure. Uh, you think you think I'd know. You think I'd have bugged him by now on this, but it just never came up in conversation. <laughs> um, and then whatever decision that went into not letting those go forward came down, and so be it. Um, I know they did the Starfleet Academy books mm-hmm. that were more young adult focused where the characters are at, you know, younger, obviously, and they're, they're in that three-year period where Kirk's at the Academy. And I think there were supposed to be five of them, and four got published, and I don't know what happened to the fifth one. Um, and then, of course, the comics. But the comics are a completely different animal anyway, and they operate yeah, under they their really own are. licensing agreement, because I know there's been some crossing of the streams in a recent mm-hmm. storyline um, where the Q Yeah, the they Q, visited and does um, all kinds of Q, things. So. yep. Yep. That, uh they visited the Deep Space Nine character. So yeah, it was it was actually really yeah, cool. We, I don't know I the really details that. of 
of that particular project. Uh, my guess is that it was a one-time thing for the for the four, five, six issues of however many it was. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a one-time thing where they got to do that. Um, and for all I know, if the right project was pitched, they would let us do something like that too. But um, mm-hmm. hasn't been anything that's been discussed. So. So, I don't know, but you know, like I said, if if they change their mind, I guess you could. I could take Tarek and what he saw in the in the viewfinder. I just I just tell everybody he was looking at porn. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a couple ideas. Like I said, I I always I, I write these things with the idea that I don't know who's going to be next. I don't know who's going to take mm-hmm. the next trip with the Enterprise E. So if it's me, great. If it's another writer, I try to leave that person with as much wiggle room as possible, so they can do their own thing. Well, and it was really interesting just because, again, you're having to deal with, uh, you know, the ethics of time travel with the characters and their their frustration with that. You know, that I loved all the different characters kind of reminiscing or thinking about, you know, Worf thinking a little bit about time travel and Picard. And, and in some ways it's so exciting, and yet at the other times it's just – it's a headache. Well, I mean – we have our – it's kind of like anything else with – you know, we have our sensibilities, humans, and the Federation has their view on how to use time travel, just like they have their view on how to use genetic engineering. And then you come across another race, and they don't give a damn. It's like, hey, we'll use time travel to win the war. We don't care. You know, we don't – the law of unintended consequences doesn't apply here, or if it does, I won't be around to see it. So I, it's an interesting way to play in that space uh, because you're kind of freed up from the normal conventions that we would pursue. I can I can spin it a different way because the aliens have a different set of values when it comes to these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, right. But, uh, you know, in the end, though, you know, <laughs> good is good, bad is bad. You know, we'll find a way to find common ground. We'll find common ground somehow. But otherwise, it wouldn't be a Star Trek story. But, um, yeah, it's fun to kind of at least initially put everybody on the, you know, back on their heels a little bit. It's like, yeah, we don't care. I mean, the, the, these guys didn't give a second thought to sending something back in time and potentially mm-hmm. destroying right. the timeline, you know, for a short-term gain. I mean, it's a, it's odd because you say short-term gain, but you think about it, it's really a long-term gain. But, you know, mm-hmm. what other what other unintended consequences come along by that one moment, mm-hmm. that one decision? Yes. So, And, yes. you know, the guy wrestles with that. Uh, the the character the, the captain of the alien ship he you know he does wrestle with that a bit so it was fun it was a, it was a, it's kind of a confusing thing I had to plot it out to make sure I got the time <laughs> time references right make sure okay they went back so many years but they come from so many years in the future and here comes the Enterprise how long ago mm-hmm. you know so it was almost as, it wasn't quite as confusing as History Shadow but it was in the same ballpark for you with that did you always kind of know. Um, you know, from the very beginning, exactly how you wanted the aliens to to end up, and and how the story was going to wrap itself up. That they weren't, you know, because they don't end up being so much the bad guys. And in the end, their intentions are really good. And did you always kind of know that that's where you wanted to go with those characters? Yeah, in the broad strokes, yes. Um, I had to work out the justification. As I went, because my original idea was, you know, one way, and I thought, well, eh, that's really mm-hmm. not enough. I need to kind of beef this up a little bit. I need to make it more. I need to have more con- more internal conflict with his decision making, and um, mm-hmm. let him wrestle with the ethics of it a little bit more. And uh, I really, you know, the best the best villains are the ones who who are not the ones who twist their mustaches, but they really do think they're doing what's right. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, right. So yes. those are those are the ones that are the most fun to write because they they believe they're in the right and they believe they're righteous. So you know they don't they don't see themselves as. Oh, I mean you know it's it's also fun to write those kind of villains too. But in Star Trek, 
not so much. Um, I always try to give, and I, and I always like to bounce around points of view. I like to see the problem from the different sides of it. So we get everybody's perspective on how this will impact them. Um, but yeah, I, in the broad strokes, I had the idea of how I was going to end it. I ended up doing a rethink about two thirds through thinking, Oh, I need to, I need to go back and lay in some more conflict and, and wrestling around with it. Yeah. I think that made it really interesting in the end to, to actually get there at that point. Um, because I didn't expect it to happen, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really nice to, to come to the end of the book and be like, Oh, I love this turnaround that we you know, they end up not being the bad guys in the end. You know, um, I, it was a really nice, I, I just wasn't expecting it. So you got me. Yeah, I found myself kind of questioning the motivations all the way through. Like, I felt there had to be something more. And, and yeah, the payoff was really excellent there. It was fun. It's, uh, you know, try to try to try to keep you guys on your toes. But, you know, you've seen it all at this point. So it's kind of hard to keep surprising you guys. <laughs> Does that ever, you know, as an author for you, does it ever just feel daunting when you're when you sit down and you're trying to come up with the ideas thousands of hours of Star Trek these days it seems like and then especially when you count all the hours people you know have reading the hundreds of books that exist um do you just kind of have to let that go and and try and tell the best story you can Yeah I mean to a point yeah I mean you have to to a point you have to respect everything and you and you try to you're never going to come up with something that's completely original. You know, you're never you're never going to come up with something that doesn't hit a beat from at least one story you've heard or read. If not a Star Trek story, then some other story. So it's you know at some point you just have to let the pieces fall. I mean, and and you know sometimes the pieces rearrange themselves <laughs> as you're writing, and and all of a sudden characters start going off in directions, and like oh that that sounds pretty good coming out of that character's mouth. I'm going to go and see where that takes me. Um, and there's a bit of that, and, and and some of that played into the writing of this book too. Um, I, I did not originally have uh, Chen and uh, Ren and uh, Tonya coming back together. Uh, that was just some of something that sort of just came out one day while I was writing a particular scene. I was like, well, I'll play with these two characters. I needed I needed to have dialogue here, and I, I swapped out the character that was originally in that scene for Renan, and uh, things started to go from there. I said, well, why not? Why not go this way and see what happens? So, uh, so even though I have an outline, and even though I have most of the beats laid out or at least in the, at the high level you know something comes along and surprises you when you're writing just you realize oh, my original idea wasn't that hot let me go back and rethink that or hey this my original idea doesn't care what i or you know my my, my brain doesn't care or my fingers don't care what my original idea was they're going to go their own direction so i'm going to tag along for the ride <laughs> and see what happens it's uh that's what makes it fun but yeah it can be daunting because you're like well it's been 20 odd years and 50 odd years if you're talking about original series so it's uh it's hard to to not divorce yourself from everything, you know, and just, just do the best you can try to tell an entertaining story that, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, is worth the effort of the reader, you know, that they invest, you know, the time and the effort they invest and the money they invest to read the story. Well, for you, what are the things that, um, you are working on now currently? What are the things that you have coming out that you need everybody to know about? Um, and then, of course, uh, where can everybody find you online and, and tell you, hopefully, like Dan and I, how much they really did enjoy Armageddon Zero? Oh, thank you. Um, what I'm working on now? Well, <laughs> uh, at the moment, I'm working on a sequel to From History Shadow. Uh, I'm wrapping that up. I mean, I'm, I have that due next month to my editor. Excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, more <laughs> yes, time travel shenanigans. Exciting. Um, 
And then um, I'm also finishing, I'm also working on a novel for uh, a different publisher, uh, for Tor. I'm working on a novel that uh, is tied into the television series 24. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, James Swallow and David Mack have each written a book uh, for Tor yes, in this. they have. Okay. And uh, I, I got asked to write a third. So uh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm actually writing that in concert with the History Shadow. I'm, I'm, I'm tag teaming it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting tag. It right makes there. for some interesting dreams. Um, <laughs> if when I sleep, that is. Um, let's see. And then after that, um, I have an outline that I'll be writing uh, next month to do what will be the next generation book uh, that we talked about. That, that I guess will follow up Armageddon's Arrow. Um, I'm, I'm told that I'll be I'll be writing, uh, you know, whatever the next story in that sequence is. Uh, that's not to say that somebody won't come along and, and, and use Picard or the Enterprise E crew for some other story. I just am not aware of it. Um, you guys probably know more about the schedule than I do at this point. Um, so that's that's what's happening right now. Uh, and you can read all about all of this because I update, I try to update people when I'm as far as the progress of the various projects at my website, DaytonWard.com, where my blog is updated fairly regularly. And of course, it also provides a portal to Facebook and Twitter where I spend far too much time. <laughs> don't we all <laughs> yeah it's really scary sometimes because i even have a friend who uh, uh my kids had a sleepover at, at at their house with uh my friend's daughters and, and she she apparently was up at like three in the morning because she had insomnia and she's like why are you posting on facebook at three in the morning because <laughs> i can't <laughs> sleep uh or i was working so i'm coming down off my because i'm an adult or something that's so. right <laughs> Well, I got to put in a plug for your your blog, especially I find very entertaining. Um, there was the recent post in, in conjunction with Armageddon's Arrow, the uh, the memorandum from the Department of Temporal Investigations to the yes. Enterprise crew. That was brilliant. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. Because I, I I had gotten several pieces of email about the in, in particular the Torek. Uh, what are you going to do with Torek? That was the. Uh, that was the first question. And then, of course, the other question was, that, is this a time travel paradox because you have the arrow crashing into the other arrow or the, you know, where, the, where they're building the arrow and the arrow's not built yet? But here, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you rationalize all of that? You know, and, I, and all I can think of is, you know, what, is, what does Doctor Who say? It's, or what does the doctor say? It's, you know, it's, uh, it's the big ball of <laughs> wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's wibbly-wobbly. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I couldn't come right out and say that, but that's what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> And, you know, for further <laughs> notes or for further information on this phenomenon, please consult, you know, Watching the Clock by Christopher Bennett, um, because he did a, 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 you know, a fantastic job trying to make sense of all the various Star Trek weirdness yes. when it comes to time travel. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that's that's where that came from. That and I had been probably drinking one too many uh, <laughs> vodka cocktails <laughs> when I wrote that. I, just, uh, I think I'll have some fun with this. So I literally wrote that on my phone while I was sitting at the That's school great. where my kids do taekwondo. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that was another laugh out loud thing for me. I thought that was perfect. Thank you. That was how I passed the time while my kids were practicing their taekwondo. Time well spent. I like to think so. so. <laughs> well, Dayton, I really appreciate you coming on to the show to talk about Armageddon's Arrow. Very excited to know that. Um, you are going to be working again with the Next Generation crew, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, you'll be the next one just so um, you'll have all the information <laughs> for you <laughs> where they're going to go next. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I honestly, when I, 
for background, when I signed the contract to do that book, it was a two-book contract um, that was extended to me last year. Um, and From History Shadow was the, the first book of those two books. And the second one was literally 24th century was how it's read on the contract. It's to be determined, you know, TBD. 24th century TBD uh, is how it reads on my contract for the second of the two books. And at the time, Margaret said, I don't know what I want yet. I'll let you know. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's fine. The, the check will still cash. I don't care. Um, at this point. That's right. So I, I was more excited about the History Shadow sequel, you know, uh, at that point, because I had the outline for that. Um, so uh, at the time, I said, I, and, and she even said, I might even change my mind. I might come back and tell you to do an original series or something. I really don't know. I said, okay, I'll worry about it in 2015 <laughs> when the time comes to talk about that outline. Well, I have, my last conversation with her was, yes, make it a Picard and the Enterprise E story. I'm like, okay, that's one Excellent. question answered. I have no idea what I'll do next. So, well, we're ex- we're excited to find out for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely excited, and to know you know as well, you've got uh, Seekers Four coming out. Yeah, Seeker, uh, in fact, as far as so. what's coming, yeah, Seekers Four is coming out in October. In fact, Dave Max Seekers Three, uh, long shot, mm-hmm. comes out at the end of July. So let me pimp my brother there for a second. And, and then our book will follow Seekers 4 uh, with the title All That's Left comes out at the end of October. Um, so that'll be it for Star- – you'll get your double dose of Star Trek Seekers for this year. And then the only yeah, other thing awesome. I've got coming out is uh, I have a, an essay in a collection of essays by the Sequart organization. They're the ones who did the New Life and New Civilizations collection of Star mm-hmm. Trek comics essays last year. They are doing one uh, called The Sacred Scrolls, which is a look at Planet of the Apes comics over the years. Uh, a lot oh, of the same okay. names were in that book will be in this one, and it's edited by the same same guys. So uh, Joseph Bernardo and uh, Rich Handley are editing that. So And, Very and cool. then uh, Dave and I both wrote stories for a collection called 2113 Stories Inspired by the Music of Rush, uh, we each wrote a story oh, wow. based on that was okay. inspired by a Rush song, and I think there's 12 stories in that thing, and it'll be out, I think, in September, but I haven't heard. So, so I'm busy. Yeah, that's great though. Um, you're finding a lot to keep you busy. Yeah, well, I'm excited to know that we'll have Seekers, we'll have a new Next Generation novel, so that we'll keep getting to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's been a while. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah. Great to have you back. Well, you're welcome back anytime, Dayton. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Well, Matthew, uh, that was a really fun conversation with Dayton Ward. Uh, I thought Armageddon's Arrow was a top-notch novel, and it's always fun to talk to the authors about the great work they're doing in the Star Trek universe. You know, it really is. I, I just, there's something about getting to see the process that an author has, you know, for a book. And I, I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's just like the the wonderful DVD extras and, and Dayton gave us some amazing things to, to kind of look at. And uh, I'm just excited that uh, we got the opportunity to talk about this. And, and really, I love it when I love the book and we get to talk to the author. And I really did. I think uh, Armageddon's Arrow is a good four out of five stars for me. Mm-hmm, definitely it's uh yeah i'm not sure what i would what i would rate it exactly but it's definitely been one of my favorite books of the of the year so far and that's saying a lot because we've gotten some really good ones already yes yes we really have i mean i 
this has, has been, I think, uh, another stellar year for Star Trek books. And I'm, I'm, yeah, beyond excited for what's coming up. I mean, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, uh, you've got Greg Cox's book, Seekers, uh, New Frontier books coming out. I mean, so mm-hmm. uh, there's something for everybody this year. But Star Trek books and what's coming up and what we've had already is not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I also like how they're like, here's some random stuff. Let us have one of your people. Like, they think that this is actually, like, a fair <laughs> trade. Like, here's some ugly Damn. shield. Take it and let me have one of your best friends in the world. <laughs> like, what is he going to do? Yeah. Hang that up on his wall and be like, this is better than McCoy. Earl Grey. You know, what the dressing up and what the, the clubs and the meetings, and the podcast, you know, all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar, and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's <laughs> strictest bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. <laughs> yes! <laughs> to the journey! You could say that the Equinox does get destroyed, but Captain Ransom lives... And since he is the highest-ranking officer that's alive, he assumes command of Voyager. I hate that idea. (laughs) The ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then I love, just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard, and he's like, hey, what up? (laughs) A little flirty. I love it. Commentary, Trek stars. So I think it actually fits into Quantum Leap continuity somehow. I don't know. I'll don't, have to go to Pubala.com and see what they you say. dare try to make me feel obligated to watch NCIS. The 602 Club. But I loved the scene with um, Lucy and Tumnus when they first meet because mm-hmm. that's a very yeah. vivid description in the book. Um, and I felt like they, they really nailed that in terms of the way it looked and and the CGI was advanced enough so that um, James McAvoy really looked like he had fawn legs and literary treks tell us about coming up with this this story for the crew of the Enterprise where did it come from for you and what were some of your inspirations for diving into these characters once again well Troublesome Minds was such a book that it left me with as if I, I didn't quite finish. I'd come up with Troublesome Minds as an idea. The, the, the idea was what pushes Spock toward Colinar. Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I, I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says, it, it appeals to that that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door, and go see what's out there. And introducing the newest addition to the network, 
Women at Warp. Iman is fabulous, and I quite like Martia. Yeah, me too. She's a fun character. Yep. Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself. <laughs> right? It was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Guys, you know you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, there are a few things that you can do to really help us out. If, if you'd like other Star Trek uh, fans and book fans and comic fans to find us, um, hit that subscribe button in iTunes, as well as giving us star ratings and reviews. It brings our ratings up in the iTunes scale and helps us be more visible for people as they're searching for podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, guys, we've got you covered as well. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website and grab the RSS link as well. Another great way you can help us keep all these shows coming to each week is become a patron of our network on Patreon. We are a listener-supported group and without you, we can't make this happen. We've got some amazing things happening at the network right now, new shows joining, um, and so many great things. If you'd like to know more, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. You can find out the goals that we're trying to meet as the network and some great perks that we have for you. We really appreciate all the support you guys give us. Uh, again, you'll find all those details at patreon.com slash trek fm if you would like to contact us you can do that at trek.fm slash contact you can leave us a voicemail look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek fm we're on twitter at trek fm facebook facebook.com slash trek fm of course the babel conference best place to have a star trek discussion is our listeners only group people that listen to the shows are the only ones who know about the Babel Conference, because it's the only place that we talk about it. Search B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. You'll also find us on Goodreads. We've got a great Goodreads group there. We've got bookshelves with our previously covered books, as well as the currently reading section, so you know what's coming up in the future shows, and some great conversations going on about the books and the comics there. We'd love to thank our social producers, Will Wynn. He's on Twitter at Will underscore Win, and of course he's on the Babel Conference. He is the associate producer of the Orb and World, and he is Trek FM's content manager. So if you have any ideas for future shows or anything like that, just send him a contact there at will.win at trek.fm, or you can send him a tweet. And Ken Tripp, thank you so much for your support of the network and being an associate producer here on Literary Treks. Now, Dan, when you're not time hopping trying to save the galaxy, where can we find you? Well, I you know, I don't want to divulge too much about my activities in that area, as we've discussed, but uh, you can find me online. My website, Treklet Reviews, is at www.treklet.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reviews, and on Twitter at Treklet Reviews, or also my personal Twitter feed at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And uh, I'm hanging around the Babel Conference as well, uh, posting links commenting on other stuff there as well and matthew when you're not pouring over information to see what secrets you can glean from the 
Department of Temporal Investigation secret files, where can we find you? Well, Dan, you could find me on the 602 Club, where we are talking about all things geeky all the time. Uh, have a great lineup these days right now. We've talked about the Jurassic Park movies, getting ready for Jurassic World. We've been talking about the Clone Wars recently and all sorts of great things. Supergirl trailer. I mean, gosh, the, the list is endless. You can also find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we do talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, my favorite Star Trek series. You can also find me as well on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.